0: As we read our Bible, sometimes we get what's called a prophetic preview or a double prophecy. When Daniel wrote his famous book, he gave us a prophecy about a coming world leader that would arrive some 400 years after Daniel wrote. His name, Antiochus Epiphanes. He foreshadows the coming Antichrist. Many incredible parallels, both prophetic to Daniel's time, the coming Antichrist, future to our time, We'll learn more about this intriguing prophecy today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. I was thinking about the big picture of the book of Daniel, thinking about the challenges that They faced. In chapter one, they faced really challenges that had to do with their diet, but it had to do with their morality. They didn't want to give in to the king's delicacies. So, chapter one was really trying to fight back against the pagan culture and not give in, not compromise our character. In chapter three, it was really about idolatry. Nebuchadnezzar made a 90 foot colossal statue. He demanded. Uh, really worship of it from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people there in the plain of Dura. And the three young Hebrew males refused to bow. They were threatened with the fiery furnace and they said, oh no, we won't bow. And Nebuchadnezzar said, yes, you will. And they said, no, we won't. He said, okay, then I'm going to make the furnace hotter. And you remember they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but there was a fourth one who came in, we believe Jesus, walking with them in the fire And we have an example from now kind of life choices in terms of how we, what we put into our body, if you will. In chapter three, it becomes about idolatry. In chapter six, it was about prayer. You can't pray to any God besides the king for 30 days. So Daniel said, I'm going to pray. That's who I am. That's what I do. Opened his windows toward Jerusalem, got on his knees, prayed, got caught praying, and was threatened with what? The lion's den was thrown into the lion's den, but the Lord, the angel of the Lord, shut the mouths of the lions and the king came running at, you know, at the beginning of the, the dawn. Has your God, whom you serve, delivered you, Daniel? Oh, yes, he has. And little petting the little kitty, you know. Rrr, rrr. So it's in the area of life choices, in the area of idolatry, in the area of prayer. And then in chapter 8, we looked at a prophecy that kind of zeros in on a man historically named, named Antiochus Epiphanes. That's a name that you need to remember, remember because he does foreshadow the coming Antichrist. And we'll, we'll talk more about him in a moment. But one of the things that the Bible says that Antiochus did in his day is that he flung, he threw truth to the ground. He began to burn Torah scrolls. He began to make the Bible illegal. He, he tried to keep the Jews from uh, circumcising their children, sticking to a kosher diet. Many people died in that time, as in the 160s BC. We've described that. If you didn't, if you weren't here for that, that's on the website right now if you want to catch up. But he flung truth to the ground. He was trying to keep people away from their Bibles, if you will. So think about the categories. In life choices, what do I put into my body? In areas of idolatry, who and what do I worship? In areas of prayer and now in areas of the Word of God. This is where you're going to be compromised or you're going to be challenged to compromise in your life, is in these areas. In in what you do with your body, your body is supposed to be presented to God as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. You're supposed to present your body, your mind, it does matter what you do with your body. And then into chapter three, God does care about who and what you worship. He does want you to be a true worshiper of the one true God. He doesn't want you compromising to idolatry. In chapter six, you're going to be challenged in the area of prayer. The enemy's going to maybe put threats in your life to not pray. And Daniel refused to bow down. And then in chapter eight, it comes down to the truth. Can you see these major categories in the book of Daniel where we can learn that we can step up and stand strong even when we have challenges come our way, and they're going to come our way, and we, we know how our culture is moving. We know that truth is right now being debated in the public square, in academia, in the university systems, in the public schools. Secularism, humanism are coming in like a flood. Uh, the church, many mainline denominations have, uh, have basically folded the tent on the inerrancy of the Bible, on the ethics of Scripture, on what the Bible says about certain life choices, about roles of men and women. This is happening all around us, both outside the church and inside the church. And here's the question. Will you dare to be a Daniel or a Daniela, if you're a girl? Is that right? Is that her thing? Anyway, what is it? Danielle. Danielle. No A at the end. It's just Danielle. OK, anyway, I just want to make sure you ladies were included because you're facing the same stuff as the guys are. These are the progressive steps of challenge, to compromise, but here's another word to even apostasize. That's, by the way, that's not an Italian dish. <laughs> <laughs> Apostasy is actually a word in the Bible that means to defect. And there were people who were faced with these same kinds of things. Think about it for a second. Do you think that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the only Jews in Babylon? No, but everybody else bowed. Do you think that Daniel was the only Jew in Babylon when the king's edict came that you can't pray to any god but the king? You see, there were Jews, there were God's people, if you will, compromising all around these guys. It's one thing, if you think of Daniel and his friends as, okay, they were the only true, you know, uh, God's people, or you could say the church, if you put it into modern vernacular, that's not true. You're going to have people around you who are churchgoers, professing Christians, who compromise. And then you're going to have to ask this question. Should I compromise too, because they go to church and they compromise, so should I just do it too, since... They're a, a professing Christian and they compromise in all these areas. So does it make it OK for me to compromise? In my choices with my body, in my choices with how and what I worship, in my choices with my prayer life, in my choices with my Bible, and do I actually believe that the Bible is the authoritative and errant word of God? These are, these are realities for the church in every age. That's why the book of Daniel is so practical, but it's also prophetic. Now, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, who was the last king of Babylon, the one with the writing on the wall, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel says, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. We went over that. That's chapter 7, verse 1, the previous vision. Uh, Daniel gets this vision. He gives us a time marker. And to review, he sees a couple of animals that represent a couple of major things. So first of all, he tells us about a location in verse two. He, he describes a ram that he sees. And then he uh, describes, what, was it a shaggy dog or goat uh, as we moved on a couple of weeks ago? And uh, here's, here's the basic idea that the, you have the Medo-Persian Empire as you move down kind of the way I like to think of this is you move down from Egypt down to Rome, and you've got basically from 1000 to the time of Christ. So if you, if you can go from Egypt to Rome with world empires, you've moved from 1000 BC, if you will, or even, even beyond that to about the time of Christ. So that's that's kind of the time frame we're dealing with, and then the world empires that unfold from there: Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. When we looked at the prophecy, we saw that it was focusing in chapter eight on the Medo-Persian Empire, and then Greece. Greece's ruler was Alexander the Great, conquered the known world in a very short period of time, died at the age of 33 probably as a result of a drinking binge. His two sons were killed because he wasn't there to protect them. And his four generals took over. The main focus of the prophecy becomes two areas. The Ptolemaic Empire in the south, south of Israel. Israel is always kind of the focal point of the Bible. To the south of Israel is Egypt. To the north is Syria. The Seleucid dynasty was in the north. The Ptolemaic dynasty was in the south. They started warring with each other and Israel was sandwiched in between warring nations, often between a rock and a hard place, often trying to decide who do we give our allegiance to? How do we still practice who we are, practice our religion, and not be taken out by these world forces? And as Syria and Egypt would fight with one another, Uh, Israel found itself in between. As time unfolded and these four generals kind of took their different regions, out of uh, this, this dividing of Alexander's kingdom came a Syrian ruler, his name Antiochus Epiphanes. In verse nine of chapter eight, out of one of them, one of the four generals, or areas of geography that I I, uh, explained two weeks ago, came forth a rather or a small horn, a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land, the glorious land, New King James, that's the land of Israel. He is the man of intrigue, and he is Antiochus Epiphanes. He was warring with Egypt. He was ready to consolidate his power after a victory down there. Rome came to him and said, if you go after them and try to consolidate your power, you have to deal with us. He turned tail. He was going back to Syria from Egypt and he passed through Jerusalem and took out his fury on the Jewish people. Killed, I think, 80,000 people in one day tried to put a statue of Zeus into the Holy of Holies, slaughtered a pig in the holy place, defiled the sanctuary, and was forcing people to eat pork, to not circumcise their children. He was burning Torah scrolls. And there was a family that rose up, and this is where we get First and Second Maccabees, and I'm doing some review just to catch us up. And Judas Maccabeus, who was, I think, the third son of Mattathias, the, the godly priest, Judah, the hammer as he was known in guerrilla warfare took on Antiochus Epiphanes and finally defeated him. And they cleansed the temple and they You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but first. We are entering the holiday season and more specifically Thanksgiving, which reminds us of a time of harvest. The book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving-kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving-kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD set or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance. Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit walkingtruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walking Truth. There was a family that rose up, and this is where we get first and second Maccabees, and I'm doing some review just to catch us up. And Judas Maccabeus, who was, I think, the third son of Mattathias, the the godly priest. Judah, the hammer, as he was known in guerrilla warfare, took on Antiochus Epiphanes and finally defeated him. And they cleansed the temple and they rededicated the temple. And that's known as the holiday of Hanukkah. Started on the 25th of Chislef, which is our November or December. If you know a Jewish person who practices or celebrates Hanukkah, there's eight days in Hanukkah. That's to celebrate oil that should have just lasted a couple days, but actually lasted eight days. And that was a miracle. They saw that as a miracle. And it's known as the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. So that's kind of the, that's where we've been so far in terms of Um, what happened here. This Antiochus Epiphanes character who foreshadows a coming Antichrist grew up to the host of heaven. Verse 10 caused some of the host and some of the stars, referencing Israel here, to fall to the earth and trampled them down. He killed many people. It, the horn representing Antiochus, even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. That's Jesus removed the regular sacrifice from him. The place of his sanctuary was thrown down. He stopped the sacrifice in the temple. The place of his sanctuary was cast down. He brought the Zeus Olympus statue into the holy place, had his own face put on it, and uh, did these terrible things. And on account of transgression, verse 12, the host will be given over to the horn. Many people did die, along with the regular sacrifice that he stopped. It, the horn, will fling truth to the ground and perform, uh, and perform its will, its will and prosper. The treacherous horn will throw truth to the ground. It just strikes me that that's what's happening in our day. If you can dismiss truth, if you can mock the Bible, if you can set aside Christians and Christianity If you can marginalize and get it out of the public square, then you can accomplish your will. Because once you dismiss God and the creator and the scriptures, now what have you got left? You've got secularism, humanism, and you can kind of have your way with it. So this is what's been happening. Some of you who can think about, you know, how people have talked about what's happened over the decades, prayer, you know, out of schools, the Bible no longer welcome in the schools. We hear stories of Bibles confiscated in schools. And, you know, you can show up with just about anything in a school, but you show up with a Bible, look out. They're going to take it away from you and uh, they, they can't have that. Christian holidays being set aside in the public school system and on and on it goes because the truth is a threat to the father of lies who's the enemy, the devil. And there are some people who look at Antiochus Epiphanes and who he was and believe he was even demon possessed, like many people believe that Adolf Hitler was demon possessed. And there are stories about Adolf Hitler messing with the occult and, you know, dark things around his life and his, his hypnotic cadences when he spoke to the German people and his final solution and his hatred of the Jews and so forth. You see, we have to see a common thread with all these world empires that all of them oppose the Jewish people from Egypt all the way down to Rome at different levels and different ways with different expressions of it, but a common target, the Jewish people. And why? Because there's a cosmic battle. There's something behind the veil of what you see that is spiritual in nature. There's a spiritual war, you guys. And it has really set the course of human history. And when you understand human history and you understand what's happened to the Jewish people, there's only one explanation. There is a being named Satan who absolutely hates the Jewish people, hates the church and wants to destroy it. But he can't win. He's already a defeated foe, praise the Lord. Then I heard a holy one, 13, speaking and another holy one, I take it angels here, Uh, said to the particular one who was speaking, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply? Remember, Antiochus did what he did in the 160s B.C. and Daniel's writing in the 500s B.C. about 400 years before Antiochus ever lived. The Bible predicted the details of a Syrian ruler who would go in the temple, do what he did. Not only that, but it predicted the Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire and its dominance and Alexander the Great before it ever happened. The Bible is inspired by God. And prophecy is one of the major proofs of that. And so the angels are talking and they say, well, how long? Uh, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply? How long will it go on? While the transgression causes horror, how long will this horrific time uh, transpire? So as to allow both the holy place, which Antiochus desecrated, and the host, that's the people of God, to be trampled. How long will it go on? Toward the end of two weeks ago, we saw this 2,300 evenings and mornings. I gave you two major views I wanted to mention to you that there's something that happened in the recent past that happened in Seventh-day Adventism that you might find of interest. And it goes with the predictions of the end of the world that have happened in Jehovah's Witnesses, in Seventh-day Adventism, but even in Christian circles. There have been uh, men who have gone on Christian radio uh, some of you can think about just in the past five years, there was a particular pastor on a Christian radio network that was predicting the return of Christ in October of what, what was it, back-to-back years that he did this, or he did it within a very tight window. And, you know, he's got a pretty bad batting average. He's over, just like the rest of the people that have picked dates for the return of Christ. They're not doing well. They should just stop. And finally, the, the president of Jehovah's Witnesses came out and said, we should just stop making prophecies about the end of the world and the return of Christ. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Adventism, which came out of the second great awakening, the great uh, second Ad- advent awakening, did the same thing. They were called the Millerites, and they predicted the end of the world, the return of Jesus Christ, and they had a... a you know, a system for doing this. And they, they took the date when uh, the uh, command was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And they think that was 457. And so then they, they picked the date in the 1800s and they were wrong. And I think it was 1843. And then they picked 1844 and they were wrong again. And this is, this is Seventh-day Adventism. And now today, there are many what we might call evangelical expressions of Seventh-day Adventism. Sometimes Seventh-day Adventism is a bit of an enigma. But Ellen G. White, who is, you know, a leader along the way, made a bunch of false prophecies as well. And she's widely read by a lot of people. It doesn't mean that everything she said was wrong, but whenever you make a prophecy and set a date for the return of Christ and people start to plan around it and think it's going to come to pass, you are on very shaky ground. Just don't do it. (laughs) Jesus did give us signs of the season, but he said nobody knows the day or the hour. So we have to be careful. So Daniel, with all of this coming at him in a vision, probably being, you know, taken in the spirit to the Uli Canal and Susa and all that happened. Well, Daniel, when he had seen the vision, verse 15, he sought to understand it. We and We can understand why. And behold, standing before him was one who looked like a man. Daniel wanted to know. You wake up from a, a very incredible vision like this or a very graphic dream. You want to understand it. You want to know. What's interesting is Daniel had the ability to interpret dreams. Remember? Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 5. He interpreted the writing on the wall, but he didn't seem to to be able to do it by just command. He didn't seem to have the gift of interpretation just abiding on him. It was revelation that God gave to him in certain circumstances when he needed it. Of course, he needed it when Nebuchadnezzar was, able, was uh, wanting to kill all the wise men in his kingdom and they had a prayer service that night and they said, oh Lord, please give the interpretation to the dream. But not only does he want the interpretation, he wants me to tell him what he dreamt. Help! The only way that you can get information like that is if the God of heaven supernaturally re- reveals it to you. And you can take no credit for that. And Daniel and Joseph would not. Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to the Lord? See, Daniel, even though he could do this for others, when he had his dream, he didn't automatically know the full meaning of the dream. And I will tell you that whatever spiritual gift or gifts you have, make sure that you understand the origin of those gifts. A man would have nothing unless it first been given to him from heaven. Whatever your spiritual gift or gifts are, make sure you understand they come from God. He distributes the gifts as he wills, as the Holy Spirit wills. And so we need to be careful that we don't, you know, think that we've arrived because we have a certain gift or it's different from somebody else. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of the eulai That's the canal we saw last time. And he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man understanding of the vision. (laughs) I don't know if he said it that way. Gabriel, give this man some understanding. Now, I don't know if that's, that's how angels talk to one another. I don't think it is. But, but here's what's going on. Daniel wants to understand. He sees this man there. He hears dialogue going on. And it would appear that an angel could have been Michael, because Michael's going to come up more in the book of Daniel. Maybe Michael said to Gabriel, Hey, Gabe, <laughs> help help a brother out. Help Daniel. He wants to know what's going on. Right? Don't you think that God wants us to understand his word? I think he does. Hey, guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now, coming up on Thanksgiving. It really makes you think of the time of the harvest And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface. It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption, as Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story. And Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH and we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.